This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. He is known as Jihadi Jack, a Muslim convert who traveled to Syria in 2014 to support ISIS, to join ISIS. He was a British-Canadian dual citizen until very recently. This weekend, we learned that Britain has revoked his citizenship. So now he is all ours, although he grew up in Britain where his parents live. Now, they've undertaken a massive lobbying effort to bring him back from the Kurdish prison where he is being held. They say he should face justice here, though it would be difficult, if not impossible, to gather evidence from Syria that would hold up in a Canadian court. At any rate, bringing so-called extremist travelers home is not a priority for our government, according to Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale. I want to hear from you. What do you think we should do? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now we bring in Phil Gursky, who is the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Rick Consulting, Threat and Risk Consulting, excuse me, Mubin Sheikh, a former undercover operative for CSIS and the RCMP who worked on the Toronto 18 case, and Janice Stein, who is a professor at the Monk School of Global Affairs. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Okay, let's start with Phil. So does this show uh, that did did Britain pull something on us without notice? Uh, what's your take on that? Well, it certainly sounds as if the minister was blindsided by this. He expressed his disappointment. Uh, the fact is, Libby, that I personally disagree with citizenship revocation cases. Britain doesn't. And in fact, it has already done that in several cases in the past. So there is precedent for the Brits, but it certainly sounds as if they didn't let us know they were going to do this. And, and to be honest, I don't know what was going on between the two countries with respect to this case and how to handle it, but it looks like Canada was uh, left in the dark, to say the least. Janice? Yeah, um, what it seems like here, Libby, um, it's no big surprise right now, <laughs> given the shambles um, of a government that is in Britain that communication breaks down. It really is not business as usual in the UK. But regardless of whether Britain revoked his citizenship or not, um, this is, was at least 50% a Canadian problem because he was a dual citizen. Now it's 100% our problem. But whether it's 50 or 100%, it's our problem anyway. Uh-huh. Mubin Sheikh, is it our problem? I mean, Ralph Goodale has said repeatedly that providing consular services or bringing these so-called extremist travelers back is just not a priority, and he's not going to risk the lives of any diplomatic personnel to do that. Yeah, I think he has a reasonable case to be made there. Um, of course, diplomats are going to be far greater targets than others if they were to be, it were to be public 
knowledge that they're traveling to these areas. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know if he's uh, still yet our problem because it is, it does seem that everyone is kind of passing the buck to one way of describing it or simply acknowledging that, listen, you can be a Canadian, uh, you know, is a Canadian, is a Canadian, and also in a foreign prison because of crimes that you committed on foreign soil. So I think the government is smart uh, to try to uh, prevent the repatriation of these individuals as, as much as legally possible. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and I suspect it might have just a little bit to do with the upcoming election. This government <laughs> took a vast amount of flack over what happened with Omar Khadr. People have not forgotten it. And and I think that re- repatriating Jihadi Jack, who has very tenuous connections to this country, uh, would just uh, bring that all back again, Janice. You know, but Livy, let's just, let's just follow that one through. We don't have any trouble saying a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian when our dual nationals are imprisoned inappropriately in other people's countries. Uh, then it's clear a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. But when they were accused of crimes, and in this case terrorism, a Canadian is not a Canadian? I don't get it. So what are you saying, Janice? You think he should be brought back? No, I'm saying he's our problem. All right, and let, we can't duck it. Um, so if we're saying, and, and Ralph Goodell is very careful in what he's saying here, he's not saying it's not our problem because it clearly is our problem. What he's saying is it's not a priority for this government to repatriate uh, people who are accused of jihadi crimes. Uh, Frankly, our record isn't a lot better on the women and children who met, who either uh, married these these men or some of the women themselves were involved in these activities. Um, so this government is signaling this is low down on our priority list, and the rider we're not going to put our own people at risk um, to go to these to travel to these prisons. Well, let's look in fact at where this prison is. It's in Kurdish held territory, which is our ally. Uh, yeah, except uh, uh, it's not, uh, they're not like a regular government. Uh, no, but they're our ally. We armed them for years. Um, and we all supported doing so, frankly. So the, so I, I just, I say that only because the risk to our consular people is not, frankly, off the charts when we're dealing with our own allies. We're not dealing with Syrian authorities here, nor are we dealing um, with Islamic organizations. We're dealing with Kurds that we armed and supported in this part of the world. So if it's a low priority, let's have the debate about whether it's a low priority, but let's not debate whether they're Canadian. Phil Gursky, uh, I have heard it said by so-called experts that bringing these, repatriating these people makes the world safer. I don't understand how. I don't understand. I mean, a lot of people would say they made their bed, you know, let them uh, rot where they are. Well, and, and that's been my position to an extent, Libby. I agree with Mubin that, you know, these people committed crimes in a foreign land. They should be subject to the laws of that land. If I go to the States and pull out a gun and kill someone, I'm going to have to face U.S. law. The argument I've heard is that we have a moral obligation to repatriate them. I don't understand what that means. And the practice remains that, yes, we can bring them back. We could charge them. I'm not sure how you gather evidence to stand the test of a Canadian court. 
And let's face it, while not every single returnee has engaged in terrorism, some have. The attacks in Paris in 2015 were carried out by a return, an ISIS returnee. The attacks in Brussels in 2017 were carried out by, a, by an ISIS returnee. So I don't know how it makes it safer. And those of our good well, if you leave them, they're going to become more radicalized. They're all radicalized up to yin-yang. They're not going to get more radicalized by leaving them in a, in a, in a Kurdistan. So I don't find that the arguments in favor of repatriation are very strong at all. Janice, what do you say to Phil? The argument is not that for repatriation, and I'm not making it. I'm saying let's debate this. But the argument uh, for repatriation is not that they will become more radicalized. They are, as you quite rightly say, so they are radicalized. The argument is that at some point the Kurds are going to say, we have, we've had enough of this. We are, we don't have the facilities to monitor and keep these people. Um, we're just going to let them loose. Well, they're not loose. Yeah, sure, because they certainly have no responsibility for these people. That's the risk. Uh, so the argument is, if you bring them back, you try them, you, and, and Jati had, as it happened, that's a fairly easy case, given the public role he played um, to convict on supporting uh, terrorism, which is a criminal offense in this country. He comes back, he spends time in a Canadian jail where everybody knows where he is. Well, well, there, there, there are issues with, uh, with getting evidence that will stand up. No, no, there aren't in his case because he was on TV. Is that <laughs> all is, you do is facial recognition? Um, it's, and he, I, I would suspect he's not going to deny who he is, but there's facial recognition and that is, openly supporting terrorism, which under Canadian criminal law is a crime. And it's and it's punishable by jail time. Uh, Mubin Sheikh, you know, yeah. a lot of these people say uh, we made a big mistake. We are recanting. We are so sorry. How do you know if there's any sincerity? I mean, uh, you of all people should know that you have uh, a radical background and, and you've became an operative. So how do you know if these people are sincere or not? Yeah, the reality is you don't know. And I mean, even in my case, uh, you know, while I was a teenager, it was a long time ago, I never engaged in violence, right? I don't have blood on my hands. Um, and, and again, I want to come back to this prosecution angle because, and I, of course, we all agree, I mean, that they definitely need to be prosecuted. But, but a lot, you know, a lot of times that's easier said than done, right? Like, look, you know, you, you talked about my involvement in the Toronto 18 case in my intro. I spent four years in court, in superior court, under cross-examination. These were people on whom we had wiretaps, uh, video evidence, you know, eyewitness testimony, me, the undercover. And uh, seven of them had their charges stayed against them. I mean, 18 were arrested in total. 11 were convicted in the end. And, and in fact, only two remain in prison, Zakaria Amara and Sharif Abdul Halim. All the rest are already out. And and that's the kind of and then look at the case that they were involved in. So when we come back to this ISIS, the ISIS situation, it's going to be very very difficult to prove a lot of those offenses. And even for those offenses like participation or membership in, how many years imprisonment do you think a Canadian court is going to give them? Right. I mean, in our own cases, in our own backyard, these guys are already out. And what bothers me, and I'm kind of looking at the the, the psychological societal issue. It is a slap in the face to every Syrian refugee, every Yazidi refugee that we brought here, 
who risked life and limb to get here only for us to fly these people back over in the hopes that we can prosecute them. The UK, the UK, which has a much worse problem, has had 400 ISIS returnees already back on the streets. And at most, maybe five of them have been prosecuted. So the, the statistics are really good. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's good that we, and I totally believe we should have a fair trial. But look, unfortunately, it may have to be in the region where, you know, prosecutors have access to the evidence and more importantly, access to eyewitnesses who, who would be pillars of the prosecution. You know, for us to bring them back here, have the case heard out in open court, the media coverage, you know, the, the, the radicalization of even anti-Muslims because of seeing these things, the PTSD of Syrian refugees and others, it's, it's just not worth it in the end. Those are uh, issues that I hadn't thought of, the radicalization of people who are against refugees. Uh, Janice, what do you think of Mubin's argument? Well, um, look, Mubin, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't agree. Right, so let's take one, these issues one at a time. How do we know that somebody is sincere, Libby, you asked, when they say they're sorry? You know, Every parole inquiry in this country, every parole hearing deals with that, frankly, in one way or another. Um, and they make judgments. Um, and by the way, sometimes they get it wrong and people reoffend. Um, so there's never, a, there is no 100% security in answer to that, but mostly these parole boards get it right. Uh, and I think it, it's, it's an issue of reasonableness and reasonable judgment. Secondly, with respect to prosecution, there frankly is no opportunity, unfortunately, now in the region for anything like a fair trial. Who, who's gonna conduct this fair trial? Clearly not the government in Damascus uh, that uh, will conduct a fair trial. They, they wouldn't know one if they saw one, frankly, and they have no resources to do that. Uh, the, the government of Iraq is already inundated, and by the way, it's, it's struggling. It's already held 150 of these trials. The testimony is 20 minutes, and people are condemned to death. That will not meet no. <laughs> anybody. Anybody standards. The Kurds, they have no resources to do this. So why I don't agree is I think we're having a dishonest debate in this country. People who don't want Canadians returned have to say, sorry, no justice, no fair trial, nothing. The crime here is so unacceptable to us. Um, we're washing our hands, and a Canadian is not a Canadian is not a Canadian. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you go and become um, the equivalent of an enemy combatant, yeah, um, maybe that's appropriate. But uh, let's hear from some of our audiences. We've got Don in Toronto. Hi, Don. Hi. How are you, Libby? Fine. How are you? Not too bad. I think this guy. If he's over there, he had his problem over there, then they should look after it. You know, every time they want to come back to Canada, there's only reason, one reason they want to come back here. They go to court, and even if they're found guilty, they're going to get three or four years, and they're going to walk the street in one year. But if he did it over there, let them handle it. 
Britain doesn't want them back, why should we want them back? Okay, Don, I hear you. Let's go to Pat in Georgetown. Hi, Pat. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. I agree with Don. This is a man who went over there with murder in his heart to kill as many people as he could, to ruin places over there. We accepted refugees back here, and now they want us, his family, who can't have him over there, want us to look after him for the rest of his life, we would hope and pay his room and board in prison. Nobody has forgotten the other one who got Omar Khadr, who got $10 million, and God help us if we ever did that again. Nobody's ever going to forget that. And why should we bring him back? Why should we bring him back, a man who has radicalized and loved the life over there enough to stay there? Prison over there is not great. Prison over here is probably 100% of what they have over there. He should stay where he created the problem and not ever come back here. Leave our people alone. In some instances, a Canadian is not a Canadian is not a Canadian. Just because you have a passport, live up to the Canadian values and don't ever expect anything less. Okay, Pat. Okay, um, that's what our people are saying. Phil Gursky? Well, not surprisingly, Libby, given my background, and I, I share many of Mubin's views. And by the way, Mubin, thanks again for everything you did for us way back from Toronto 18. Um, you know, I remember a video that came out a couple of years ago of a Canadian called Ferris Sheridan from Calgary, Alberta, All who right. joined Islamic State. He burned his passport on video, and he pledged himself an enemy of Canada. Is he still a Canadian? Well, maybe he is, because he was born here, and he burned his passport. But I think Canadians would be really angry. You raised Omar Cotter, and you and I, Libby, have talked about Omar Cotter far too many times for me to remember. <laughs> right. And I think, I think that any government that they made a move right now on the eve of an election to take moves to repatriate Jihadi Jack or any of these other terrorists, and the kids are different. But we can get to talk about the kids later if you want. They're a separate issue. Would, would, would incur the wrath of Canadians. And I think the Liberals realize this. This is why I've, used, I've been using the phrase, I've been ragging the puck on this for a very long time, because they know it is a no-brainer that they can't do this and, and still win the election in October. They're already seeing this off on terrorism. This would steal the deal. So, I, you know, why has no one raised the possibility? Uh, Jenna Stein says that the Kurds aren't capable. What if we help the Kurds establish a judicial system? What if we help them establish a court? As, as Mubin said, the eyewitnesses are there. The people are there on the ground. If we help yeah. the Kurds to establish this system, they can have fair trials in Kurdistan, or whatever they want to call it, and not bring them back here. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting, and I raised that at the beginning, that the election is, uh, a, I think, a big factor in this. And yeah. then you've got to wonder, are they, if they win, are they going to move on this? And, and Phil, you mentioned... Uh, the other people who are stuck in Kurdistan or or in other refugee camps, and those are the women yeah. uh, who and went children. with them and, and the children. children. And I have to tell you, um, you know, I that gives me pause as well. So they're going to come back here with their children and they'll raise their children. Uh, you know, we, we know that a lot of these so-called homegrown terrorists are first and second generation. Uh, you know, they, they're going to raise their their kids with the same worldview, potentially, and and that will pose a security risk, you know, in the future. You know, uh, again, to come back to the issues, and I really appreciated Pat's call, because she said, oh, right, a Canadian is not a Canadian is not a Canadian. 
Um, so if we're saying that people who join terrorist groups abroad of the right or of the left, it really doesn't matter if they commit acts of terror, then we're done with them. And it doesn't matter whether they burn their passport, we're burning their passport for them. That's, you know, that's a position about which we can argue, but it's honest, and I really appreciate it. Uh, to come to fill, fill your point about a fair trial in Kurdistan, there is no Kurdistan. <laughs> and in fact, as you know, it is more at risk now than it's been over the last several years because of the government of, of the president of Turkey, Erdogan, who is negotiating to limit and circumscribe um, that territory. And this is a moment fraught with peril for Kurds. There's zero chance that the Kurds now or in the future can do anything like a fair trial. So what we're really saying here is no trial, no judicial process, no investigation. These people are alleged to have committed terrorist acts. That's enough. By Canadian standards, they're gone. Well, can, can I just jump in and say that you know, I think the Kurds are, I mean, somewhat capable. They've been doing a lot more than even some, some you know, uh, nation states in that regard. But look, you know, I'm again, I'm thinking back to this idea. It's almost like this arrogance that we're coming at this with saying, oh, no, we're not going to accept your your jurisdiction, your claim, like the Iraqi government is, you know, claiming that they have legal jurisdiction. I mean, ISIS was an Iraqi group. Uh, the Iraqi government has legal jurisdiction to try these individuals. And if you kind of see it in that, you know, sovereignty-based system, United Nations, whatnot, I mean, maybe at best we're trying to think solutions, right? Maybe, you know, uh, observers and trial uh, to ensure the fairness of trials in Iraq is an option that could be done. But, you know, if we're going to say that, listen, none of these options are available and the only option available now is trying them in a Canadian court, then let us prepare the public for this harsh reality that we may not be able to prosecute them and we will have only brought them back just to let them loose on our streets. And and it's I get all the legal arguments at the end of the day, but nothing trumps the public safety of Canadians. And it is not sound policy for us to engage in this kind of risky behavior of thinking that we can prosecute them and in fact not. Uh, this is why I gave the example of Britain, 400 individuals coming back, uh, only a handful have been charged. I mean, and, and that, is not, that is not good. So okay. I think these are the options that we're dealing with. None of them are good. All of them are bad. Okay, uh, we're uh, basically running out of time on this, so uh, I'll give Phil and Janice uh, a chance to uh, wrap up their comments as well. Janice? First of all, let me just say, Libby, I agree with you entirely that the election is setting the context for this. Um, no, no, no party um, going into this election is going to recommend repatriating any Canadian accused of an act of terror. So this ball is kicked down the road until um, November or December for sure. Um, let me just say with respect to the Iraqi trials, um, literally everyone who has been charged has been condemned to death. Some of those trials are no longer than 20 minutes. 
I think the Kurds would do a better job, in all honesty, um, if they had the resources and the capacity and, frankly, the security to do this because they are really um, at risk now, given what is going on. They are caught in a pincer movement here. So this is a really tough problem. And having this debate about what limits your rights as a Canadian citizen, I think it's a very important one. Okay, Phil, to wrap things up. Well, you know, I, I won't pick up on Mubin's point. I think it's extremely arrogant of us as Canadians, as Mubin said, to say the Iraqis do not have the right to try people who committed crimes on their soil. I agree with Janice. I think the Iraqi court system is abhorrent. I think the trials are, are too quick, that they're not fair, etc. But who am I to tell the Iraqis what they can and cannot do with people who commit crimes on their soil? And my, my, my last word, Libby, if you don't want to go through the Iraqi court system in a 20-minute trial in the death sentence, don't become a terrorist in Iraq. Simple, simple <laughs> Good advice. Excellent advice. Uh, we have to go. I'm sure we will be revisiting this. People, if we couldn't get to your call, Free For All Friday coming up. And who knows, we may get to it before. And right now, thank you so much to Janice Stein, Mubin Sheikh, and Phil Gursky. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.